Some messages are teaching. I'm essentially a teacher, a pastor and a teacher. Teaching has as its goal imparting information and understanding so that when we go home, we can take what we've learned and apply it in our lives and remember it. And it's necessary for growth because we grow by understanding. It's wonderful to have God move and just do something supernatural, but then we've got the day-in, day-out life where we've got to get up tomorrow morning, go to work, apply the principles of the Word of God in our life, and understanding helps us to do that. There's also preaching. Preaching essentially means to proclaim something, but the real goal of preaching is to motivate, to inspire us to do what the teacher shows us we should do. (laughs) And we need motivation. We need hope. We need things to, to push us sometimes. And so there's messages that are, that are teaching messages. There are messages that are preaching messages. And sometimes they get interwoven with one another. But there are also messages that are prophetic. That doesn't mean that the person giving that's a prophet. But there are prophetic words. And what that basically means, and it just fits in so well with the song that Rodney just gave, brought to us is that we forget so often that we live, although we live in these bodies, we're we're part of a spiritual realm. You understand that you are a spirit. That's the real you that's on the inside. And your spirit lives in your body. So your body's not who you are. It's just the car you came here in. (laughs) It's an earth suit. It's what you need to get around in this realm. But that's not what you really are. That's why Paul says this, although this outer man... This container may be getting older. The inner man, the real you, is being renewed and getting stronger every day. We talked a little bit about that last week because when this body, when you're done with this body, the real you on the inside is going one of two places. And, but it's going to go somewhere forever. That's the real you. That's a spirit being. The Bible teaches us that there's a spirit realm and there's a material realm. And God is a spirit. God dwells in that spirit realm, but there are other spirits that dwell in that realm. They're angelic beings and they're demonic beings. And, 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 and we don't like, sometimes, you know, I grew up in a, in a family where we might believe there's a God, but we certainly didn't believe there was a devil. And it was, you know, you, that's what Halloween... Halloween is really a trick of the enemy to get the world to laugh at him. So they don't believe he's real, or if they believe he's real, they, don't, they think he's just, uh, you know, he's a costume. And down the road, we're going to talk about hell. And we're going to talk about heaven. And what the Bible says about them, because Satan's not got some guy wearing a red union suit with horns and a pointy tail and a spear in his hand. But that's not our purpose this morning. I'm saying that because understand this, that sitting here right now, overriding this service, overriding this church, overriding your life is a spirit realm. And words, God has ordained words to be powerful. Your words are so much more powerful than you realize. Much of what you are have in life and much of what you're dealing with in life are a result of your words. God created the material realm with words. Faith is exercised with words. Jesus changed situations with words. He spoke to storms. He spoke to blind eyes. He spoke to Lazarus' body. He spoke to these things. 
And they marveled and said, he speaks with an authority that other men don't have. So words are powerful and words have a spiritual force. When we studied on Wednesday nights the, the, the uh, armor of God, we saw that the sword, the only offensive weapon in there was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Word of God spoken on our lips. So words are very important. And so there are some messages which are prophetic, not in the sense that they're prophesying what's going to happen. Their ultimate, their real purpose is to speak into the spiritual atmosphere over a church. And I believe that's what the purpose of today's message is. We'll learn some things from it, and God will speak into our lives. But it's declaring, and this is what God showed me back when we did the fast, was to declare certain things. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 40. Ezekiel chapter 40. And we're going to bring this study and this vision message pretty much, I hope, I'm trusting today, to a close, to a point. When we started this, we started back in Ezekiel 37, which is the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. It's been interesting because there have been several people that have come here since then, including Lafayette Scales and some others, who have preached out of that same set of scriptures. And, and it's not something that, it's not my normal makeup and my normal thinking process to do things like that, to think in the prophetic terms that those are. I'm more practical, I'm more analytical in my thinking. But during that time of fasting and prayer, I know that what kept rising up in my spirit was this question, God, can these bones live? And if you remember, we spent a lot of time going through that, that vision that God gave to Ezekiel. And we talked about the fact that although it was about Israel at that time and in the future, I believe it's also about the church today. Because we're not looking at the church in terms of our eyes, in terms of the nice building that we have and, and the facility that we have and the programs that we have. We want to look at it through God's eyes. What do you see, God? We see in the book of Revelation in the first several chapters... Jesus appears to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And one of the things he does is says, I want you to write these letters to these seven churches. And you've heard me talk about this before. He wrote a different letter to each of the seven churches, which means Jesus knew what was going on in that church. He had his own view. Now, understand this. We can have our view, and you can have your view, but he's always right. <laughs> so it's not like his opinion. You can have your opinion of where the church is. I can have my opinion where the church is. But my opinion and your opinion don't count. He's the only one that counts because he's the head of the church. He's the Lord. It's ultimately he, him that we stand before. And so he gave a report card on the church. Now my concern is his report card on Faith Christian Center because this is the body that's been put under my charge and my responsibility. And as we were in here praying and I was praying to God about it, I said, God, from what I see, it's, it, compared to where I believe we need to be, it looks to me, and I was talking about me as well as all the, the rest of us, as if we are a valley of dry bones, and we've talked about that. But his answer was to prophesy. To prophesy. To prophesy. To speak over those dry bones. And as Ezekiel obeyed, see, it's incredible how often it just comes down to obedience. Just obey. Just do what he says. There's a church in Seoul, Korea, most of you have heard about, 
that's uh, Pastor Cho, Young Hee Cho is the pastor of it. The last count I have is they have 750,000 active members, not just on their role. For years, it was a church of 100, 150, and I've heard him, personally heard him share this testimony. And he had a, a Bible student from a major theological seminary come and do his doctoral dissertation on church growth. So he went to the biggest church in the world that's grown the, the biggest of any church in history of, in the world, and he, he, he spent a week following Pastor Cho around. And he sat down to have lunch with him at the end, and he says, well, what did you learn, son? He says, I have no idea how you've done this. What have you done that caused this big church? And Dr. Sho, who is so humble, so gentle, he says, son, it's very simple. I pray and I obey. And the student looked at him and scratched his head and walked away and found another church to study because he figured it couldn't be that simple. But it is. You just do what God says to do. And so Ezekiel spoke over those bones, and we saw what happened. They came together, and then God breathed on them, which is the Holy Spirit, and they became living beings and became a mighty army. And that's where we started. But if you're going through Ezekiel, you'll find what happens after that is then he speaks some things over some nations, Gog, Magog, of how they are dealt with Israel. And then starting in chapter 40, he's going to talk to him in a vision about the new temple that's going to replace Solomon's temple. And I'm going through this because it sets up where we're going to go. In the 25th year of our captivity at the beginning, now Israel is now in captivity. Excuse me, Judah, the southern nation, is now in captivity in Babylon, where Iran is now. At the beginning of the year, on the 20th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the the hand of the Lord was upon me. That's the whole anointing, the Holy Spirit. And he took me there. In In the visions of the Lord, he took me up into the land of Israel and set me on a high mountain. On it, towards the south, was something like the structure of a city. And he took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, and he had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood at the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything that I show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Now we've been talking about what vision is, is seeing something. Vision is seeing what God sees. Vision is seeing what God sees for you to do, what God sees together for us to do at Faith Christian Center. That's what vision is. It's that simple. What does God see that He wants us to see? Because when we see it, we'll feel it, and when we feel it, we'll do it. Look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything that I will show you, for you were brought here that I might show them to you and declare to the house of Israel everything that you see. Now He begins to show him what this new temple is going to be like. So let's go over to chapter 43. He gives him the dimensions of the temple. He gives him the, 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 the chambers and the rooms of the temple. And now in chapter 43, he's going to talk about the temple's constructed, God's dwelling in it. Now, what had happened in their history is when God brought them out of Egypt, they got into the wilderness. God instructed Moses, took him up on a mountain, and God showed him a vision. He showed him a vision 
of a tent and, some, and, a, and a curtain around it, which we call the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. And there's a book in the bookstore that I wrote on that if you want to get some greater understanding of it. And so it's about, but it was all about a place where God could dwell among them in the middle of his people to a degree. And as long as they worship God and they obey God and they serve God, he dwelt there. But there came a point when they started worshiping the tent and no longer the God that dwelt in the tent. And when they started worshiping the tent and not the God who dwelt in the tent, he left. And they started being the people that owned the tent or the tabernacle and not the people of God. And so God's talk about restoring his presence to his people, Israel, in the final day. But I believe that this is also a prophetic word to the church today for where we're going to talk about. All right. Afterward, he brought me to a gate, the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the Lord, that's his presence, his tangible presence. The glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. He's going to talk about three different visions that he had before. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came upon the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. And the, Lord, the Spirit lifted me up. Now, isn't that neat? We have services and people fall down under the power of the Spirit. You know the presence of God is here when He stands them up. See, we want, to, we want the presence of God... Oh, won't it be great when we feel the presence of God in here and we're talking about goosebumps. But as I read my Bible, every time the presence of God shows up, people fall down on their face. Moses saw the burning bush was just a, 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 a part of the presence of God. God says, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy. God is a holy God. I'm going to say that again. He is a holy God. And wherever he comes has to be holy as he is holy. And nothing's going to happen of any import unless God's presence is here. Otherwise, we might as well be a social institution. And so much of the church has become that. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Let me ask you a question. I'm, this is pastor talk right now. This is a question we need to all ask ourselves because it can change from time to time. Why do we come to church? Do we come to church to see our friends? It's nice to see our friends. Or do we come to church to spend time with the God that created us? the God that gave his life to save us and redeem us, the God who loves us and who has blessed us and healed us and provides for every breath we breathe, every beat of our heart. Do we come to worship him and to glorify him and to honor him and to be in his presence? Or is that kind of secondary? And if that happens, wasn't that wonderful? Or is that why we come? The Bible tells us in James to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That means we have to take that first step. We've got to draw near to Him. And it tells us how to do it. It says, purify your heart 
and cleanse your hands and mourn and weep. We want to come and jump for joy. But he's saying, if you want to draw near for me, you need to recognize how far from me you really are. Now, God lives in us, but in terms of our experience and our love and our priorities and our life, to draw near to him, he says, when you're really doing that, you'll mourn when you realize where you've been. Now, the good news is, he says earlier, he gives grace to the humble. So if we'll admit where we are, face where we are, he'll give us grace to bring us to where he wants us to come. And a pastor talk. I think. Verse 6, And I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet. Now remember where his presence is, is holy. Where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defy my, defile my holy name, nor their kings by their harlotry with, with the carcasses of the kings in their high places. They built a high place was another place of worship that they built. They would build hills and mounds outside of the temple, and they would worship other gods on those hills. They say, well, we don't do that today. Oh, really? What is in there our life? What is there in our life? That's, that, that, that has a place in our heart above God. That's a high place. It may not be a hill in your backyard that you have a little statue of somebody on, but it's something in our heart that we've given a high place above Him. Verse 8. Now listen to this carefully. And they... They did this when they set their threshold by my threshold. In his temple, he had a threshold, a doorway. He also had a doorpost and a wall. But notice they set their threshold by his threshold. Their doorpost by my doorpost. With a wall between them and me, they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed Therefore, I have consumed them in my anger. Whoo! Say, well, that's Old Testament. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. What's he talking about there? The temple was a place that God had designed and instructed them to build, and they did. But then they built their own things in place of it. Are we trying to make God into who we want Him to be? Or are we coming to a God to adapt to who He is and what He wants? Well, I don't believe God would do that. Then you're making God into who you want Him to be instead of finding out who He is and what He will do and won't do. Well, I don't think God would require that. I mean, we've got it's people writing books saying there's no hell. Pastors! Well-known pastors. Why? Because by their own reasoning, they don't think it makes sense because God is so loving, He wouldn't do that. That's making their own God. Instead of reading the word He's given us to tell, him what, tell us what He is like, it's saying, no, I don't think, I don't think God ought, is like that, so I'm going to worship the God I've made. That's idolatry. 
And what they were doing is they were making their own doorpost, their own altar, their own temple, basically. Now, it, it, but we can do that in our own mind. This is what church is like. This is what I want church to be. Instead of, this is his house. There's been a whole movement in the body of Christ to make the church user-friendly. So as a result, they've watered things down so that people wouldn't be offended when they came into church. But I read my Bible and find people got offended at Jesus. He came into his father's house and turned the, the tables over, the money changer. He got mad because he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. Oh, there's a strange thought. It's a house of communing with a holy God. It's not a place where commerce goes on. It's not a place where we do what we want to do. It's his house. It's his presence. It's his dwelling place. And that's what he's talking about here. Not what we want. Not our performance. Not our skills. Not promoting myself. Not look what I can do. We get people in ministry, they're all so focused. Look what God, look what I can do. This is my ministry. This isn't even my ministry, it's His. We've got to get this right, or He's not going to come here. And all we'll have is nice church, but we won't carry out His will. We saw that in the beginning of the study. God has a vision and a purpose and a plan for this church. And it's what he wants to do. I've had prophecies from it given to me. I've had ministers from other parts of the country call me with the same vision that they've shown me. But it's not going to happen. I know what God's shown me. We're going to talk about today. But it's not going to happen unless we make the adjustment. God's not going to adjust to us. We've got to adjust to him or he'll find someone else. Pastor, this is different talk. Well, we're in different times. The time's short, and I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. All right. Now, talking about God coming in and dwelling His, his temple, but keep in mind, keep in mind that in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes, don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? See, this is the temple that Israel is going to get in the end. But you and I, collectively, together especially, are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to govern our lives the same way He's talking to them. That's 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Now go over with me. He talks some more about the temple and and the prince coming to dwell in the temple. Now go to chapter 47. This is where we've been headed most of the year. This is what God wants to do here. We've talked about God's calling and purpose. We've talked about Jesus calling us to be fishers of men. 
We've talked about Jesus' example, and we spent the last week or so talking about Jesus at the well with the woman. And what did he offer her? Living water. He says, if you knew who I was and you asked of me, I would give you water that when you drink of this, you'd never be thirsty. Because when you drink of it, it's living water. It will become in you a fountain springing up to everlasting life. We talked last week about that fountain that is in you to satisfy your needs and to fulfill your needs, your, your need for, for life. That life is, and he's talking about life there. He's talking about life where God lives it, not where you and I barely get by, not scratching the surface. So many people I talk to, I say, how are you doing? Well, I'm holding on. Everlasting life isn't holding on. It's overcoming. Jesus said, you are more than conquerors. Paul says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, he says, God who, God who always leads us in triumph. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't see Paul saying, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on. Paul, and Paul went through some stuff. <laughs> when you think you're having a bad day, read some of what Paul went through. And that was for doing what he was supposed to do. Paul wasn't hanging on. He knew that, see, when we're hanging on, it's because we're relying on our own strength. Because the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Our faith has overcome the world. The churches he's coming back for is an overcoming church. There's stuff to overcome, but we're overcoming it. And Revelation, he talks about the rewards and the crowns And consistently the refrain is, to him who overcomes. Not to him who hangs on. To him who overcomes. So God's plan, God's will for you in this life to walk is to rule and reign as a king, to overcome in this life. Romans 5.17 says we are to reign as kings in this life. Revelation 1 says the same thing. Overcoming. That's his church. But we can't do it in our strength. We can't do it unless we get things right. You can't be out in the rain, running around in the rain without your coat on, raincoat on, and then complaining why you got sick. You fooling around with sin and wondering where the power of God is, they can't dwell together. We've got to get things right. Then we talked about last time. John 7, where he talks about living water again, except this time he says, he who believes in me shall have rivers of living water. Not just a fountain for yourself, but rivers of living water flowing out of them, and that by which he was referring to, he said in verse 38, the Holy Spirit who not yet been given because Jesus hadn't yet been raised from the dead. But then we went to Acts chapter 2, and this is where we ended last time because Jesus had been raised from the dead. We saw in Acts 1 how He was ascended into heaven, and He told them to wait in Jerusalem in chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, because they received power from on high. And in chapter 2, we saw that power come in on the day of Pentecost, and blew into the place where they were. It filled not just them, but the place where they were. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke in tongues, and they spilled out into the street. We saw that river begin to flow. 
the power began to flow out into the streets. And before that day was over, Peter had preached an anointed message and 3,000 people had been saved. Their lives were changed. They began to come together and care about one another at a level where they never cared about one another before. They began to, to not be concerned with the things that they had and began to see their brother in need. And we've talked about that before. And they sold their possessions so that they give them to one another and take care of one another's needs because of the Spirit of God who is changing them, transforming them, working in them. That's the river of life. River of life. And it's in you right now. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. A few weeks ago, we ended the service by singing together a song that we need one another. I need you to survive. And by the time we finished that song, the atmosphere in this room was completely different than before we started. And it wasn't because the Holy Spirit fell down out of heaven like the balloons at a convention. It wasn't because some electric shock went through the seats and everybody jumped up. What was in this room that time came out of us. That means we brought it in here. That means we bring it in here every Sunday. That means we take it wherever we go. That's that river of life. But together we began to share it with one another. We crossed the boundaries of a comfort zone and began to share it with one another. And that love of God, that life of God, that peace of God began to come out of us collectively and change the atmosphere in here. First time we ever did that song, second service. We had a gentleman, because one of the people in the group was, was Claudia, our secretary. And, and she was sharing with us afterwards. She said there was a gentleman that came in, was here visiting, and he didn't speak English. And we're in this circle, and the love of God just pouring out of people, and he's standing in this circle holding hands, having no idea what we're saying. And tears are coming down his cheeks. He's, he's, he's weeping. Why? Because he's tangibly touched by the grace and the love and the life of God without understanding words. That's in here right now. Then he, this is that same man that we looked at in chapter 40. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water. Remember what we're talking about, living water. Flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. In other words, it's going out of church. And there was and under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running under the right side. This is that living water. And when the man went to the east with a line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. That's about 500 yards. And he brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my ankles. And he measured 1,000, and again he measured 1,000, and brought me through the waters, and they came up to my waist. And again he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said, Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. So there's a river flowing out of the temple. I believe that's a river that God wants to flow out of this church. 
Notice it's out of the church. And it's this river of living water. And it goes out about 500 yards and it's ankle deep. And he measures out another 500 yards. And it now goes waist deep. And he measures out another 500 yards. And now it's so deep you've got to swim in it. Which means it's going to grow. I was reading this this morning. And sometimes you'll see something you've, you've never seen before. Normally when you take the source of something, the further away it gets, the shallower it gets. Right? But here the further away it gets, the deeper it gets. And so this is a sign. As the more you go into it, it's going to start ankle deep. Back when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God brought them out to the edge of the water and and told Moses, you know, they had this big crisis because God had, again, here's another vision. God had told them that they were to go into that wilderness and from the wilderness to the promised land, but there was an obstacle in the way. It was a sea, the Red Sea. And Moses, the people come and complain to Moses. Moses went and complained to God. And God says, why are you standing here talking to me? And Moses is thinking, you know, yeah, but what about this? And God said, but I told you to go there, which means there's a way to go there. And he says, what is that in your hand? It's the rod. So he, takes the, he holds the rod out over the river and it parts and the, and the first ones that step out were the priests. Well, the next time they cross the river, the Jordan to go in, they have to step into the river first. See, God expects us to grow in faith. They've got to step out into the river first before it began to part. And here he's saying, you've got to step out into the waters first. That's getting outside our comfort zone. That's getting outside of our routine, getting outside of what we like to do and don't like to do, beginning to step out into it. And then when they stepped out into it, they got comfortable they could walk in it to their ankle. They went further with it. I bet some didn't, but some go further with it, and it got up to their waist. But you notice when you're walking when, with your, up to your ankle, you still have control? When you get up to your waist, you still have control. It's, it may slow you down. You're affected more by the river that's around you. But when you get out to the point you've got to swim, the water is now holding you up. One of the obstacles we run into with ourselves is, well, you know, if I begin to give out of myself, is there going to be enough left over? Because we'll meet it out. We'll hand it out as long as I've got enough left over for me. And we're going to see as we go down the road that God wants us to trust Him to the point that we're willing to let it all go and allow God to be the flow. How does water flow? It flows by letting go of it, doesn't it? And the more you restrict the flow, the slower it flows. The more you open it up, the more water comes through. And God wants to flow life through you. Those of you that really participated in that singing at the end, you felt a taste of the life of God. The living, excuse me, the living water flowing out of you. But you had to take a step to do that. And you didn't feel it first. And so when we did that, we stepped out. Some of you were very uncomfortable. I could tell by the look on your face. And we had some visitors and they were very uncomfortable. But you know, I knew it didn't hurt them. Nobody's died yet. And they stepped out into it and found out that they could, they could handle that. And then they got up to the, to the... See, by this time you're up to the waist, you're feeling more comfortable in it. But you're still controlling everything. It's when you get out over your head that the waters begin to support you and you begin to truly get into the flow of it. All right, we've got to go on. Living waters flowing. 
Living waters flowing. Living waters flowing. Living waters flowing. Eternal life flowing. Verse 7. And when I returned there, we'll go back to verse 6. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees, one on either side. Then he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region down into the valley which enters the sea. Now the sea he's talking about here, east of Jerusalem, is not the Mediterranean Sea. That's west. East of Jerusalem is the Dead Sea. In the Dead Sea, which shouldn't be a shock to you, nothing lives. Some of you have been there and seen it. And between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea is a valley. And he's saying this water, this river is flowing out of the temple, out of God's dwelling place, down towards the Dead Sea. And he took him out by the riverbank, and there were trees there. Look at verse 8. Then he said to me, This water throws towards the eastern region, down to the valley, enters the sea, and when it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river goes will live. There will be a great multitude of... Of what? Of what? Of what? What are we to catch? Fish. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed. Everything will live wherever this river goes. This is what God wants to do. You've heard me share over and over again, usually at the end of a service, that God hears the cry of everyone that cries out to Him. Out there right now, there are people, I know there are in the church, but we at least have a hope out in the world There are thousands upon thousands of people around us out there within our sphere of influence as a church. Forget the airwaves. I'm just talking about our lives. There are thousands of people collectively who are hurting, lost, crying out to God, whether they're using words and know it or not, but in their heart, wondering, is there any hope? Is there any way to get delivered from these drugs? Is there any way to get free from the oppression? Is there any way to get out of this fear? Is there any way to get... I walk around this city and see, it's overwhelming to see how people's lives are oppressed. And I cry out, God, it's so overwhelming. Is there any hope? Can these bones live? But see, we look at our own resources. We look at ourselves and say, my goodness, what can we do? But it's not we, it's the anointing, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the rivers of living water, it's His water, it's His water that changes them, it's His water that transformed that woman at the well, it's His water that transformed that whole town where she lived, it's His water that they drink of, it's His water that changes them, it's His water that frees them and delivers them, but His water has to flow out of the temple. And the temple's not that wall and that wall and that ceiling and that floor. 
the temple is you and me collectively. And if we will allow that river of living water to flow out of here, he will heal and make whole those that cry out to him. But he can't do it alone. This is what he wants to do. This is his vision. And when it reaches the sea, its waters will be healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go. Now that's important because that can only happen where the rivers go. Where the rivers don't go, that healing water can't change anybody. Wherever the rivers go, we'll live. And there will be a great multitude of... A great multitude of... Fish. We've been talking about fishing one-on-one. God's vision is bigger than just one-on-one fishing. God's bigger vision. But we've got to start with something. We've got to let it begin to flow with something. We've got to step into the waters at least up to our ankles and experience something. And as we do that, it whets your appetite. See, once you begin to see God move from you, once you begin to experience that living water flowing through you, see, because while the living water is flowing into them, it's flowing through you. I'll never forget, years, 20-some years ago, I heard a well-known preacher talk about when he began to, to step out and began to pray for the sick. A woman, brought, it, was in, it was in a shopping center. A woman brought to him her child, and he looked at this child, and the child's legs were badly twisted. I mean, just a hopeless situation. It wasn't something, it was so bad, obviously surgery couldn't do it. And she brought him to him. And he looked at it, he he said, I was overwhelmed by this. He said, but I stepped out anyway. And I laid hands on this child and began to pray over him. He says, and I did the anointing of the Spirit began to rise up me. And I began to speak a boldness over this child's legs. He said, that was beyond me because my mind, he said, was just thinking, my goodness, what are you saying? He says, but while I was praying, I watched this child's legs in my hands begin to straighten out. Remember when Jesus, when the crowd was there and they didn't have enough food to feed him? We talked about this before. And so they come and said, Lord, this is the same thing. This is overwhelming. There's no way we can meet that need. We've got to go find some natural way to meet it. And Jesus says, no, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? You have hands. What do you have? We have breath in us. What do we have? We have the Holy Spirit in us. He says, take what you have and bring it to me. And then when he brought it to him, he blessed it, and he didn't hand it out. He gave it back into their hands. And they handed out the miracle. He multiplied it through them as they handed it out. But they had to take that step to hand it out. And he said, I watched, I heard the bones crack. And I watched this boy's legs straighten out in my hands. He said, I was more amazed than they were. He says, but what I felt, God doing that through me, 
Not the power, just the God's using me that way. He said, I've never forgotten it. That water flowing through you, that life. People are dying of thirst out there, needing hope, needing to know that God is real. There's so much out there, confusion, so much stuff about God, and and it's gotten to the church. They need to know God's real. Can I share that without names? We had a guest comes Wednesday night, and we had a guest speaker here. I just felt led to have him. And uh, there was someone brought in as a guest that, that uh, wasn't particularly a believer. And at the beginning of the service, I was in a meeting, so I wasn't here, but I've listened to it. There was a word of knowledge, several number of words of knowledge, and one of them was for colitis. And this person had colitis badly. And colitis was called out, and they were healed instantly on the spot. Now, you don't think that shows God's real? Living water. Living water. But see, somebody had to bring them. Somebody had to do something. Living water. Living water. Rivers of living water. Oh, I just saw that. <laughs> I've always taught, you know, Jesus, the fountain was, was one fountain in you. And, and I've said, well, Lord, how, many, how can you have rivers flowing out of me? I just saw it. You're a river. You're a river. You're a river. You're a river. You're a river, 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 you're a river. We're all rivers of living water. Woo! I'm going to go back over verse 9 again. It shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, see, that's up to us where it goes. Will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because of these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Engalim, and they will be places for the spreading of their nets, and their fish will be of the same kind of fish as of the great sea, exceedingly many. But in its swamps and marshes will not be healed, for they will not be given. They will be given over to salt. So there'll be some that won't believe. And along the bank of this river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food, and their leaves will not wither. Sounds like Psalm 1. And their fruit will not fail, and they will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food, and their leaves will be medicine or healing. As you read the news reports and see the things on television about things getting darker and worse, I drive around sometimes and I wonder, I'm not sure I even know this country anymore. The value systems, not just the value systems, that are, it, just, it's, it, it reminds me of, of, of futuristic movies that I've seen where everything just goes bad and I see the signs of it. I'm enough of a student of history to know the signs of a decaying society and they're all there the middle class begins to disappear people are so bored that they've got to have reality games that's what the Romans did 
That's what the Colosseum was. It was just reality games, except they didn't have a television to broadcast it. We've got to create situations to satisfy our thirst to be entertained. They began to decorate their bodies with things, tattoo their bodies with things. They put jewelry in places in their body other than just normal ornamental things. All those signs that they did and other cultures have done, we're beginning to see, and many more, many more. And yet, you've heard me say before, should the church be discouraged? Should we be afraid? No. It's for such a time as this. It's easier to see the light in the darkness. And we have, we have, we have the water that will heal them. We have the water that will satisfy their deep inner longing that's driving them into the drugs and into the devil's hands to control them because they're trying to satisfy some need in them that that they think is going to be satisfied by those things when God has living water. That when they thirst of it... See, when you take drugs, you need them again and again and again and you need more and more and more. When you turn to pornography, that satisfies to begin with, but then you need more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And more and more and more and more and more. But you and I have inside of us. This body has been blessed with rivers of water that when they drink of it, they don't have to drink again and again and again and again and again because it satisfies, brings healing, and brings life. But notice it flows out of the temple, out of the presence of God. It's not something we can just go out and do by faith. The anointing of the Spirit has to be involved in it and flow in it. So it starts back at the temple. It starts back with what we talked about. It starts with getting things right here, getting things in order here. It starts with getting our lives right. It starts with coming to worship Him and not just enjoy one another's presence. It starts with putting Him first when we come here. Coming here, prepared to honor Him, worship Him, glorify Him. Recognize He is a holy God. Yes, He meets my needs. Yes, He does those things. But above all, He is a holy, righteous God. And then we invite His presence in here. And His presence will go forth with us. And a flow. Notice it says, the rivers flow out of here. And because the rivers flow out of here, the trees on the bank are healthy, produce fruit. And in their leaves is healing. In their leaves is wholeness. In their leaves is, is, the, is the fruit that people can eat of and be nourished and be satisfied. And it's here. It's here. He's here. He's in us. Say, how does this happen? How can we get this to happen? We've got to begin to desire it. We've got to begin to pray. We've got to begin to call upon Him. We've got to begin to speak over our lives. Lord, recognize the dryness in our bodies, the bones. Recognize where we are. Understand, we talk about revival. Revival refers to the church, not the world. An awakening is in the world. Revival, because you can't revive something that wasn't vived to begin with. It's awakening the church. It's waking the church up, and it's only the presence of God, the move of the Holy Spirit. What did God do in the church to birth it? He poured out the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. 
Yes, I speak in tongues. Yes, I get goosebump at times. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the overwhelming love and, 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 of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we've had little tastes of it. The question is, do we want more? Are we thirsty for more? Let's pray. Father, when we see your vision and we see what you want and we look at ourselves, it's absolutely overwhelming. But then we remember Moses was overwhelmed. David was overwhelmed. The disciples were often overwhelmed. Your prophets were overwhelmed. Jeremiah was overwhelmed. Isaiah was overwhelmed. Whenever we look at ourselves, we're overwhelmed. But Lord, we come now to lift our eyes off of ourselves and upon you. We pray, Father, that for this living water within ourselves to flow more and more within our own lives, to satisfy those inner needs in our own lives, that we be made whole. And we ask you, Father, to give us a thirst and a hunger for you, for your presence, for your presence here, not just emotionally, but your tangible presence here. That we might be like those men in the vision that we could not stand either because of the presence of the Holy God that's here. Father, we hear by faith the cry of people out there that you hear today, that you feel their pain, you feel their bondage, you feel what they're going through right now the young men and women walking up and down the streets in gangs that are, that are bound by the, the system of that gang and can't get out and yet live in fear of their life, not knowing that any moment their life may be forfeited and they're going to spend an eternity separated from you, an eternity in a place that they don't believe in, but that's very real. All we can say, Father, is here we are, as those men and women that gathered in that upper room in obedience to their Lord's call. Here we are, Lord. Fill us. Fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord, as they were in the days of old. Fill us with your Spirit, Father, as you have from time to time in your church. For we need the, we need the waters, the living waters of your Spirit to flow out of us, not just in us, but out of us, Lord. Help us to learn to be sensitive to the voice of your Spirit throughout our day, leading us and guiding us to take that step, that ankle deep step into the water. And for those of us that have stepped to our ankle, to, to go up to our knees and then up to our waist, that we may come to this place that we're swimming in your anointing, swimming in the life of your Spirit. Thank you, Father. Only you know how to bring us to that place. Father, we began by looking at a valley of dry bones. And that, that vision was full of hope because your answer was those bones can live. They can breathe again and they will become a mighty army. Lord, that is our hope today. And so we speak over Faith Christian Center today that these bones will live and breathe and become a mighty army. We speak over Faith Christian Center that rivers of living water, rivers of living life 
rivers of eternal life will flow out from these doors to the east, will flow out to these doors to the north and the south and the west, will flow out from these doors. And wherever they go, they will bring eternal life. Not just souls saved, but people delivered, healed. And this very area, this very region changed and influenced by the life of God. For that grace, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.